This is Web Suasion Conversation, Episode 9. the show. I am Ryan Williams, president of the Web Suasion Group, coming to you from our Kapoka studios here at Pinewood Atlanta Studios in Fayetteville, Georgia. Today on the show, we have Rebecca Britzi. She is a business consultant in Atlanta, and she's had a lot of experience working with startups and helping businesses to increase their bottom line and productivity. Here at Web Suasion, we're always happy to work with business consultants and businesses that use business consultants because we know that they are taking their business seriously. And often those business plans will necessitate custom software that we can come in and provide for those clients. So a really good indication that you need a business consultant is one of two things. Either you don't have enough work coming in to fill your staff, or you don't want to take on any more clients because you don't want to bring on more staff. One of those is an indication that you need to improve your sales process, and there are some technical aspects to that that we can assist with. The other side of that probably means that your administrative costs are too high, and that's something that we can also come in and assist with. We can automate and help improve that workflow. So it's always great to start with a business consultant first, get their opinion, come up with a plan, and then come to us for a technical evaluation of how to implement that. If you want to learn more, just go to our website at websuasion.com. And while you're at it, go ahead and sign up for our email newsletter. It'll pop up on the screen there asking if you want to sign up for the business growth newsletter. And you can download our developer checklist at websuasion.com forward slash checklist. That's W-E-B-S-U-A-S-I-O-N forward slash checklist. C-H-E-C-K-L-I-S-T. So now let's talk to Rebecca Britzi. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So tell me about growing up in Switzerland. Well, Switzerland's a funny place, isn't it? It's interesting. You've got um, four national languages, three language regions. You've got sort of very different cultures, but ultimately everybody's Swiss. Okay. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a funny place. And um, the Swiss are very methodical. They're very down to earth and everything is very logical and sort of at face value. And I think this served me very well. I grew up in, um, have you heard of the term third culture kid? Uh, sort of, yeah. You, you sort of, you've yeah, heard that yeah. branded around. Well, so my have one parent's one nationality, one parent's another right. nationality. I grew right. up in a third country. Um, we had many languages at home, etc. So I moved a lot, changed school systems a lot. You know, British school, Swiss school, American school. So I spoke maybe the languages, but not necessarily right. the context of everything or slang or you know the, the gotcha, subtleties. Gotcha. So growing up in Switzerland, learning to be very Swiss about things and very methodical and take things at face value ended up serving me well. I always had my starting point was 
what I see is what the thing is, yeah. and then I will learn the subtleties with experience. So um, why were you in Switzerland? Was your, your family stationed there? or like, It was, it was a work. Um, I did grow up there. So my father was working for a company that was headquartered in Switzerland. Gotcha. So he was transferred to the headquarters when I, just shortly after I was born, in fact. Okay. Um, and then we ended up staying there. He, he ended up starting his own business, et cetera. But, um, but nice. we... It's a good place to raise children. It's a beautiful country, and um, and that's where we stayed. Are they originally from like London, or what was the London connection? How did you get over to? No, actually, so I've um, my father's American, my mother's Italian. Oh, nice. Uh, the UK really. Ca- I went to grad school in the UK in London, okay. and then um, after school, ended up staying there and lived there for ten years. Gotcha. Um, it was. It, I, we spent a lot of time in London, in particular, growing up. We had friends there, etc. So it was always a city that I was familiar with. So it was an easy place to move to. And in college, you studied classical Greek and art, correct? I did yes. So how do you get from classical Greek and art uh-huh. to working with a startup SaaS company right. uh, and uh, in, in the tech industry? That, tell, tell me about that company. Is that not me. what we all did? Is yeah, that not the natural well, route yeah. to things? No, I, um, well, I studied classics and art, worked in commercial art, okay. and um, fairly quickly realized that this was probably not the right field for me. Um, there were things that it just, a lot about it did not really fit with my approach to life and work and mentality. And so there were a lot of small things that I was finding frustrating. Gotcha. Um, What I really have to credit is having very insightful and intelligent and caring people around me. I had good mentors who helped me notice the things that I didn't like and pointed me in another direction. It's critical. And it is, it really is. And so there's, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for listening to people who know you and also listening to people who know things that you don't know. And right. I think this is what we underestimate sometimes, that learn from the experience and expertise of others and also the way others see you. So the way that this other opportunity to work in a SaaS startup was presented to me was more about not necessarily the industry or, or the work, but all the things that bothered me about the fields that I was in, yeah. in terms of bureaucracy, culture, day-to-day life, were going to be reversed in this new environment. Okay. And How so, so? Well, um, red tape disappeared. Uh-huh. When you go from working in a, a very established- Corporate s- environment, yes, right. To a SaaS startup with three people in an attic, Red tape's gone. Oh, so it was really, it was really a startup. Yes. Three people in, okay. Yeah, it, it was. That's that was our setup. So, um, and you were there for what? Ten years. Twelve years. Twelve years. Okay. Yes. So, how big did that company grow? To about thirty-five in the mid-thirties. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, what did you guys do? We it was a it's a content aggregator and and uh, it creates newsletters essentially. So okay. what it does is it, is it allows information departments primarily also marketing teams to aggregate external content. So mainly large professional services firms we were working right. with government agencies. So okay. so they're looking at the the content not that they're creating internally but external compiling that and then utilizing that internally. It's a startup, so I'm sure you yeah. have many roles. But what right. were your roles in the in the company? Well, my first role was do the things that need to be done. So there was yeah. the founder who was the product guy. There was, at the time, our crawlers were still had a lot of manual involvement. So there was somebody who was doing sort of the editorial. And I was brought on and sort of told, we've got about 50 corporate clients, make them happy and do whatever needs to be done. Uh So that's how it often starts. Um, And so as the company grew, my role really was always, it was strategic, essentially. At the time, I don't think we knew that, you know, we certainly weren't calling it that until we started to grow and realize it. But it was sort of 
what needs to be done, what part of the business needs to be put in order, put that in order, hire somebody to take that over. And then what needs to happen next? We need to grow or we need to um, you know, develop our product in a different direction. We need to improve operations here. So right. I just took on that thing and then, you know, and, and put a plan in place to make it sustainable. You started basically with no business plan to speak of or? Did, basically. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. One of my first jobs was right more of a marketing plan when it came down to it. Because at that point, their main concern was we need to make our clients happy and get new ones. We don't really know how we got the clients we got so far. I mean, good product, et cetera. But, you know, they're just kind of coming to us through referral or word of mouth. So how do we become more deliberate about this? So, yeah. So the first thing was really putting in place a business plan, but with a strong emphasis on on business growth. So since you guys were a SaaS software as a service model, what challenges did you find with that as far as like, did you have a high churn rate? I know a lot of SaaS companies Mm -hmm. have issue with stuff like that? Or what were the challenges you guys were up against? Our challenges were slightly different. We were, three people in an attic, competing with large corporates. The people who were trying to get the same space and the same budget from our same clients were huge, large companies with a lot of resources who did all the wine and dining, did these huge annual conferences, all these sorts of things. And we were, you know, three guys in an attic. So right. um, so our challenges were quite different. But what we realized was we can't pretend to be that. We can't compete directly with the things that they're doing. So how right. do we take these things that we're initially perceiving as weaknesses, because we feel like the small guys, uh-huh. and actually use those as our strengths. Let's not pretend to be something that we're not. So those were really the first challenges that we faced was, okay, let's use this to our advantage. You know, when you call into our company, if you've got a support query, you don't go to tech support. You go to either the founder or me or, you know, and so let's use that, for example. You know, you, you know everybody by name. And that was our approach to the whole thing. But that was really the biggest challenge that we were up against. But using that, we managed to get, we had a consistent between 96 and 99% renewal rate with our clients, nice. um, you know, which which obviously is is difficult Very anyway in that high. industry, yeah. unheard of. Yeah. Um, so you know, so we we tried to use the things to our advantage. We knew where we could compete and couldn't, and where we could, we were successful. So while you were there, at what point did you realize that you wanted to do strategy and have your own firm? Yeah. Was that an obvious thing early no. on and you kind of worked to it or did, was it no. just all of a sudden? It was quite sudden, actually. Yeah. I loved my work and, and I loved the company and I was there for 12 years. It's a long time. Same reasons why I sort of wanted to also go out on my own. It was a very strange thing after such a long time. There's a sense of wanting to prove my ideas, I suppose. You know, I feel like I've learned a lot and I've put a lot of things in place and almost sort of putting my money where my mouth is. You know, I see a good way to help not just our business, but businesses. And so can I put that into practice? But it was quite sudden. You know, it all sort of happened in very few months, shall we say, from the first thought of, should I be doing something different now Uh to actually making it happen? And the decision to do my own, to start consulting was examining that. The part that I really like the most is the creating the plan and then sort of putting that in place. And yes, implementation as well, but that part of it. And I like to do that in different environments. It was part of why of my urge to leave was I want to see this applied in different industries, uh-huh. you know, sort of prove that concept over and over. And it was just a combination of those thoughts, I guess, that brought me to say, well, if I consult, then I get to work in that spot that I really enjoy and where I believe my strengths are over and over again. And is that the niche that you've developed company similar to the one that you worked for? Or is it where, where has that gone? I know like some, yeah. you never can really plan right. how your <laughs> right. clients are going to come about. But Well, that's where I thought it would be yeah. initially. And, um, and I'd say that that sort of industry is actually a small, small, small percentage yeah. of my business now. So it really took different directions. But 
I've ended up having clients in a wide range of industries. But one thing I will say, it's all services, mainly B2B, but also some consumer, but very much services, not products. So I can see similarities traced across all my clients that bring them together in terms of the way that they work and the types of needs that they have where my approach to planning works well for them. But yeah, there were a lot of surprises, but especially when you start out, you get somebody from an industry you've never touched before come and say, can you do this for me? And, you know, naturally you think, I think I can actually. I bet I can do this. And you have a tendency to take everything that comes too. You do, you do. And and then you decide, you figure out along the way, well, you know, I don't really want to do any more of that kind of work. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. You go by experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the common things that you find that businesses, where, where are they dropping the ball? Yeah. When it comes to strategy and, and you know, anything anything that you deal with on a daily basis. Well, the place most companies drop the ball on strategy is on strategy. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just, not just, like, <laughs> it's just kind of having one. not yeah. really there. Um, when it is, it's, it's very often um, limited to having goals, but aren't necessarily uh, built on a foundation of no anything. No way to get and, there. It's just abstract. Right, it's just, and, right. We really want to be there. And that's great, but there's you know there's not like a reasoned path really, or or a connection to reality. You know, very right. often, for example, it's a revenue goal, but that enough that is not enough to drive a business. So those sorts of situations, when people start a business, or you know, they'll all go get incorporated. Fine, they'll get QuickBooks set up, or you right. know, an accounting system. They'll get their website. They'll think about all these things but not so much about internally their operations and answering the questions, not just of what we do and how we do it, but why do we do it? And why do we do it this way? And why can we compete in this world? And why are those clients better for us than other clients? Uh-huh. Those sorts of questions. So it's, it's putting that in place, what I find puts a foundation for making all the other decisions. So once you then come to determine your goals and approach your clients and do all these other things, you do it on the basis of the answers to those questions. And that's really what a strategy is. It's det- Michael Porter said strategy is deciding what not to do. Right. Well, that's the whole point is sort of determining this is who we are, this is who we are not, and this is who we want to be and how we want to operate. And this is why, this is how we're going to prove that we've, we really are the company that we promise to be. No, I imagine most of your clients are have been around for a while and, and have kind of established themselves and they're just sort of struggling to grow the way they want to grow. But how early on do you suggest, like if, if somebody were starting a business, mm-hmm. are they ready for strategy yet? Or do they need to kind of, because a lot of businesses start out reactive yes. and not proactive on, exactly. in what they're going after. Yeah. But can you know, how early can you know what your business is That's about. a good question. There's some things that you can know and some things that you have to be open to, not necessarily be a blank slate. But right. but I would even say when you start, you have to be open to all the things changing. Right. Um, and yes, there's some foundations about culture and values that you can put in place. But even those, I don't think, need to be so set in stone because there's so many unknowns at that point. Right. So be open to all the unknown unknowns and let those influence you in a positive way. Learn from that experience. So you're absolutely right. Most of the clients I work with have been around for even a short period of time, but they have several years at least of operation behind them. So they have some at least questions. You know, they don't always right. have all the answers, but now they sort of know at least which questions they need to answer to operate. Is That's there, when you can get detailed about strategy. Sorry. Is yeah. there is there a sweet spot um, for like how, how many employees they tend to have at that point or uh, what revenue they're pulling in? Or what is there any indicator at all that this is a problem client? They right. could use strategy. I'd say time-wise, it's probably two to three years in. Usually by then, you know, okay. going back to what you're saying, when you start, you take in 
whatever business comes your way, you sort of, you know, try all the different things, usually two to three years, you're starting to plan out a little bit more and be no one to say yes, no one to say no, etc. But beyond that, major change, any yeah. major change. So losing a bunch of your team, hiring a bunch of people, pivoting to a new product, pivoting to a new market, changes in the environment, you know, when change is forced upon you, moments of major change are a good time to review the whole strategy. And how do you differentiate what you do? How does that work in with like, say, marketing departments and things like that? Like, how much do you get into the marketing plan? Or is it really just kind of working out like what the intent is and then handing that off? Or how it's do you... a bit of both, actually. I mean, it's, it's essentially the latter of what you said, but then it informs what happens. So right. yes, I am touching on marketing, I'm touching on sales, I'm touching on a lot of different parts of the business, um, customer experience, etc. Certainly a lot of external facing, but also HR. What I am providing or the work that I'm doing with the client is creating the foundation for then those technicians, if you will, in all those areas to come in and put their strategy in place. So using marketing as an example, we are talking about how to position, how to message, who you are, who you're not, you know, right. what you do, what you don't do. So then if you bring in a marketing strategist, whether that's outsourced or in-house, there is all a foundation there upon which to build. Then right. they're going to be the technical experts in actually making that happen. Is okay. that we build a website? Is that you know this type of strategy? Is it that you know what the specifics of the marketing expertise are? And how much on an ongoing basis do you work with your clients? Is it usually like once you get a plan in place, you just check back in with them every once in a while, or is it weekly? Or what what do you tend to do? It's more of the latter. So so we'll work intensively at first, and then stay in touch monthly, quarterly, depending on the client. Sometimes right. just ad hoc. So again, you know, I'll get a call every few months when something new is coming up, and they'll pull me in for a few hours to work on that or for a day or two, that sort of thing. So yeah, so there's the upfront work and then I remain as that resource to a, almost an accountability resource uh -huh. really, sort yep. of, you know, Keeping are we on track? track? You know, yeah. what's changing? Does that, is that going to affect how we do things, et cetera? What were the different tests that you use for your clients that you help them to uh, figure out, you know, the course they're going to go through their strategy? Well, I, what I do is I actually rely a great deal on the knowledge and experience of the client. So I have all sorts of systems that I use. I have a system of questioning that starts superficial and then mm -hmm. goes deeper and, and different models of that sort. But I believe I'm doing my job well when the client doesn't realize that a system is being used. Okay. You know, So it's very much understanding the experience of the client. The greatest value I bring at that point is challenging all the assumptions that the client's bringing to the table. So that's really where you know finding the way to the client answers a question that I have about their business or their environment, and then saying sort of, well, prove that to me. If, okay. Is that true? And if it's not, let's let's find what actually is true. I see. So you said you, you do a lot of service industry kind yep. of work. Do you find you have to kind of frame that as changing it from selling a service to selling a kind of package or a product? Is yeah. that something that... And vice that, versa. Yeah, really? So absolutely. it goes both ways? All yeah, right. absolutely. If, 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 you know, when I work with clients in the services, then it's very much, okay, if this were a product, if somebody could buy this off your website with one click, right. what does that look like? But vice versa, if, if I am working with somebody who has something that is more productized, more packaged, how do you describe this as a service? How do you describe this as a benefit instead of a thing? See, we're always trying to do the opposite, so I, I've never thought about it from the other side. So give me an example of like a product that you would want to kind of sell more as a service. Right. Well, the, the example I've used um, in, in talks about this is, is a pen. You know, if you're selling okay. pens for sure. or pencils, um, it's a pen. Everybody knows what a pen is. But 
what does it do for somebody? It allows okay. you to, um, you know, so different people will use pens in different ways. Some people are note takers. It allows you to never have to store information in your head, but always have it readily available to remind you of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So if that's what you're doing, then what you need is a pen that's, you need an instrument that's small and portable and direct ink on paper, and that's never going to smudge and last a long time. Some people write leisures, so it's about penmanship, and it's right. about having beautiful instruments, and just a very different use of that instrument. So again, what is the experience that the person is getting with a specific benefit, the outcome that they're getting from it? Oh, that's great, that's great. So tell me about, for your own business, when you went off on your own, what would you do differently, or what, would, what kind of advice would you give? I would not necessarily do anything differently, not because I did everything right the first time, <laughs> right. but because all the things that you do lead you to where you are. You learn from and, it. Right, and yeah. so I, if I went back and did something differently, it would have just been a different mistake that would have led me to the correct answer. Um, so it's more about, you know, what am I not going to do again, shall we say, okay. or what am I going to do differently um, next time or going forward? And it's, and it's rarely even a big change. It's usually a subtle change. I'll give you an example if I can. Sure. So when I first went out on my own and connecting second part of your question, what should people do? I told everybody, everybody, ex-clients, future clients, um, you know, colleagues, everybody I'd ever met, you know, yeah. in a coffee shop, got an announcement about, hey, I'm doing this new thing. Just wanted to let you know these are my new contact, you know, my yeah. new contact information, whatever excuse. But from that, I got a few small jobs, which was great. So that kept me my brain in, engaged. And I was doing some small bits and bobs here. And then I got the first real brand new client, somebody not from my previous network who comes, you know, I met at a networking thing and comes to me and says, I need your help to do these things. So we have a conversation. I understand what he needs. I put together this proposal. It's my first proposal, right, and it's right. it's beautiful. I get it designed. I get I it's ten pages. It's beautifully written. I've put I've spent days, all my efforts into this proposal. Like, this is my first. Pro I'm going to frame this proposal. Uh -huh. I send the proposal, and he writes back two days later via email saying, "This looks like a lot of work. I don't really have time for this, but I'm meeting a supplier next week. Can you come to the meeting?" My proposal was a complete waste of paper yeah. in of itself. But so I said, okay, I'll go to the meeting with you. So I go to the meeting with a supplier and I sit there for a couple hours in this meeting and ask a few questions and we come out of that. And I say, you know, your problem here is you're not thinking long-term, you're just thinking about the next purchase. But yeah. both you and the supplier could benefit if you're gonna be buying from this guy for a very long time. So, so we put a little thing in place there and that ended up being how we worked. And we worked together for almost two full years. Yeah. Projects would ha come up, he'd pull me in where he wasn't sure, et cetera. So what was the mistake? I mean, the mistake was spending two days on the proposal, if you will, it was wasted time. Maybe, but the, but, maybe. But exactly, but, yeah. it's sort of, you know, so that's, that's my point is sort of, I, I did the thing that made sense to me at the time. And the, the important thing really was doing something yeah. and not worrying too much about is it the right thing or the wrong thing, but just doing, I just, okay, pick something to do. And in my view, it was, I'm going to write a beautiful proposal. I thought that that would be the thing, but the thing was actually just sending him something, making a connection and then moving forward, you yeah. know? So do something, don't be paralyzed by fear. Don't be worried about a misunderstanding if, you know, because doing nothing, you're really not going to move things forward, but you can always correct a mistake. You really can. Right. When you're in a consulting role and you go in and you've got all this knowledge and experience and background, really, it's just getting in the room. If you can just get right. in the room with people and just listen to what they're doing, and yeah. you're always going to have something to say. And that's really what ends up, it's, right. a, it's an informational sell. You're not really selling yourself. They exactly. just go, you know, you walked away, we walked away with two or three things here that we can immediately exactly. take action on it. Yeah. So tell me, how do you get in the room? 
I know you do closed referral networks and stuff like that, sure. but, yeah. but what do you find has been most effective for uh, networking and selling? Well, a little bit what you're saying right now, if you will, the educational side. My philosophy about business, and this is how I work with my clients, is I have a mantra of it's not me, it's you. So the right. point is always it's not your business, it's the people you're serving. Yeah. So I teach my clients to work on a mantra of it's not me, it's you. So be external facing. So applying that. So really my main talking point is never necessarily what I do. That's why this is a little unusual, frankly. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's, it's usually hard to talk about yourself. Yeah. Right. It's usually asking questions, though. But so doing, you know, not just that's just what I do. It's what I do with clients, but doing that in networking environments as well, doing that in all environments, learn as much as I can about a business. And that turns into a conversation, ask the probing questions and also the specific questions. Yeah. I think that's something else. People say, what do you do? Well, that, what type of clients do you work with? And then sort of stop there because you don't, I don't know, don't want to sound like you're probing or, but people like to talk about their work. Yeah, and they no, like talk about themselves. Yeah, it's amazing uh, how much people will reveal when you just, you know, start right. a conversation. Right. Yeah. And then you get to those moments of insight and you're sharing insight. And am I giving them an idea or are we together brainstorming and coming up with an idea? It doesn't matter. The right. important thing is they're having a eureka moment. And, yeah. that's, and that's good. And they're connecting you with that. And then therefore Absolutely. they're going to come back to you for more. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, anything coming up for 2019? What are, your, what are your big plans for your business for uh, moving forward? Well, I've restructured some of the plans that I use. So as I was saying, I have systems that I use, but they've always been sort of very subtle in the background. So I'm bringing them a little bit more to the forefront. Uh -huh. So I most of the work that I've done has been traditional consulting, and then a very small part of my business has been more training. So I'd like to bring in more training using my systems, if you will. So okay. sort of more explicitly saying, this is, this is the system we're going to follow and make it more project-based, after which we can go on to the accountability or standard consulting, et cetera. So that's a big project for the year is doing a bit more of that and balancing that with the consulting okay. for those clients who really don't want to have a one-to-one -one necessarily where, you know, they want something maybe a bit more accelerated and packaged to take away. And, and when you say team, are you talking about like bringing in their whole staff and working with them together? Or are you working usually with the leadership? Usually with leadership, but it okay. does depend on the size of the company. If we've got a company of fewer than 10 people, then I tend to encourage them to bring everybody to sure. the table. So sure. once you start to get over that, again, it depends on the business, but then, you know, okay, let's bring the managers or the leaders it's in place. It's too departmental or something. It right. Be, yeah. Right. Logistically, exactly. not a good, yeah. Exactly. Good approach. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Well, uh, anything, any events coming up or anything that you want to talk about? I think you're familiar with this. It's my don't use these words um, talk. Yeah, yeah talk I... a little bit about that. So um, sure. you've, these stop words, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Away from words. Away from words. Yes. Is that what it was? Okay. So they, they it's words that distance from a, uh, that, that will distance you from the outcome that you want. So they sort of create a distance between you, a business owner, a practitioner from your client or you from the outcome of your service. Yeah. So um, so they put an imposition there. And again, this sort of ties back to what we're saying at the very, very beginning about my upbringing. The same word means very different things in different contexts. Yeah. And, and I learned this with the fact that, you know, growing up multilingual, the same word, same etymology, same roots, just the same word in different languages has very different meanings right. and and mean very positive in one language, something very negative in another, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's always been a constant, something as a family of linguists, we've always sort of enjoyed this sort of thing <laughs> and like, you know, yeah. using the play on words, et cetera. But the same is true in business. Words that you use in a social setting or in a non-business setting are very different, uh, take on a very different, yeah, exactly, than in a business setting. So it's important to know that these words that will serve you well in one part of your life are actually harming you in another part of your life. So if you don't mind me giving an example, you, you'd said help. 
Help is one of those words. Yeah. It's such a classic one. So if you uh, talk about what you do in terms of how you help your clients, then you are distancing yourself from the thing that you do. You're certainly distancing right. yourself from the outcome. So I think the example I used um, when you heard this was the plumber does not come to your home to help you fix your water leak. Right, the plumber it. comes to your home to fix your water <laughs> right. leak. Exactly. I don't so, want help. I don't, right. you know, I don't I, need a handyman. I it, need... Right. I don't need somebody to just read the instructions while I do it or, you know, like yeah. give me spiritual support and pat me on the back. I need somebody to do the thing. And right. so even, and this is also connecting to that idea of services versus, you know, so even when you're doing something, when you're selling something that let's say is um, is intangible, you know, even website, shall we say, but mm -hmm. you know, even if it's consumable, but intangible, don't talk about what you help people do. Talk about what you do right. that affects your people in, or your clients in a positive way. When we're writing marketing copy, I think we tend to do that to, to not seem... Um uh, too aggressive or, right. or something, but you're right. It, it does seem, it's like, yeah, we, we kind of halfway take care of the job for yeah. you, you know? Yeah. Right. And that's the thing is, is where can you put your conviction? I mean, that's really yeah. what it is. And that's why it's not an easy, the first answer, if you're using the word help and you decide to get rid of it, the first thing you replace it with might not be the right one. That's fine. That's the whole point is it's supposed to be a little bit of a difficult exercise. Right. So where are you comfortable using that level of conviction? And, and what is it that you really actually do for your client? So it, you know, it also pushes you to dig a little bit deeper and really say, okay, this is my value. And you, yeah. once you find your value, yeah. you're confident about that. You don't right. feel uncomfortable with it anymore. Right, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, but I mean, when you when you make it about your client, like exactly. for instance, your your marketing copy, if you're talking about what this can do for you, right, and very rarely talk about what we do, right. then you're you're heading in the right direction. Exactly, yeah. it's not me, it's you. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This is great fun. Good to see you. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already subscribed on Apple Podcast, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, please do so. And definitely leave a review, especially on Apple Podcast if you can. That really helps other people to learn more about our program. And if you go to our website, websuasion.com, C-O-M, that's websuasion.com, you'll find links to our Facebook page or Twitter, Instagram, and especially our YouTube. If you subscribe to our YouTube page, we put up many clips from the actual broadcast so you can actually see who we're talking to and share those on your social media. It's always great little tidbits of business information. Next week on the show, we have Todd Anduzzi. He is the area director of the Small Business Development Center at the University of Georgia. He's going to tell us about all the free services provided by the SBDC for new and growing businesses. So we hope you'll join us and until then, have a productive work week.